Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Chat Autism Live on Generation Rescue Radio, where you ask and our experts answer. Today, we're going to be discussing everything from sensory issues to meltdowns to older kids and genetics. Today's special guest needs no introduction, but I'm going to introduce him anyway. He is a board-certified pediatrician and a fellow in the American Academy of Pediatrics, not to mention the New York Times bestselling author of Healing and Preventing Autism. Today's guest is Dr. Jerry Cartsonell. Well, thank you. I know our community loves you, and we have a lot of great questions and a lot of good topics we're going to get to in just a bit. I am excited. (laughs) All right, let's get to our first question then. Our first question comes from Janet, and Janet wants to know, what are your thoughts on the possibility of low vitamin D levels being related to autism? Well, we don't know that much about it. I mean, there have definitely been some studies that correlate that children with autism have low vitamin Ds. And there have been some some concern that women who are pregnant with low vitamin Ds will also have, um, are more likely to have children with autism. But you have to ask the question, how long have women had low vitamin Ds and had normal babies? Okay? So, so that's the kind of the concern right now. But I think in my practice, the majority of kids who come in who do not take the supplement vitamin D, when I measure it in the blood, it is very low. Okay, so adding a vitamin D supplement couldn't hurt. Adding vitamin D supplement protects us from colds and flus, and um, there's talk about it actually helps uh, protect us from cancers when we get older, and vitamin D, of course, helps us feel better. It's kind of like the sunshine vitamin, so it helps elevate the mood. So there's a lot of good reasons um, to take vitamin D. All right, there you guys have it. Start taking vitamin D. Our next question comes from Tiffany, and Tiffany wants to know, should she be rotating her son's enzymes and probiotics? She's afraid that the yeast and potential bad bacteria may become immune to them. That's a good question, Tiffany. Um, you know, my, when I'm working with kids, if what you're doing is working, I don't switch it. If the child's stools are normal, if the behaviors that we're ascribing to yeast have improved on a particular regimen, why would I want to change that based on what somebody says out there on the Internet? For my son or my daughter, if I have a combination that wins, I'm not going to change that for all the tea in China. Right. All right. Our next question comes from Erica, and Erica says, My son is seven years old, and we've done several biomedical interventions, but he is constantly flicking water. I'm not sure if this is a sensory issue or a comorbid issue. Is there anything I can do to help with that? Oh, that's a good question. So whenever we have kids who are doing abnormal behaviors, you know, normal versus abnormal, whether it be flicking water or... Uh, looking at things through the corner of their eyes or pouring things out, you know, constantly they have to pour salt out, they have to pour water out. Whatever behavior we're looking at, it's a manifestation of something not quite right inside. And what could that be? Well, that could be a yeast, as we just spoke about. It could be bacteria. It could be constipation. Um, and you have to look at all of these things. All, we're, all we know is something is abnormal. Why they're doing it, there's no way of knowing. There's not a one-to-one correlation. Flicking water means this. Looking out of the corner of the eye means that. 
I wish it was that simple because then I could just follow a simple logarithm and I would have it fixed. So I kind of like use the analogy, if you have four kids who are coughing, well, you could diagnose cough. My wife could diagnose cough. But one's coughing because they have asthma and one's coughing because they have a cold and one's coughing because they have allergies. Now, they're coughing. That's the final manifestation that you and I can see. But the underlying mechanism changes from child to child. So, again, um, that's what I'm thinking about when I hear flicking water. That's, if you will, the cough. But I have to figure out why. And, and obviously you can't treat somebody who has asthma di- the same as you treat with somebody who has um, a cold. It's just different. Right. Okay. There you have it, Erica. Our next question comes from Carmen in New York. And Carmen has a son that's nonverbal, and she says he has terrible meltdowns. He is almost 18, and she says she cannot afford many biomedical therapies and would like to help with getting her son past these meltdowns. What advice do you have? Well, Erica, I hope you're going to get a little bit warmer out there. It's been pretty cold. Um, you know, that's a, that's a very tough question because of the fact I don't know what you've done. And I don't know when these behaviors began. If they started when he was three and he's just been melting down, it's just getting more and severe and severe. Um, meltdowns, that, there's always a reason for it. There's always a reason for a kid coming unglued. And unfortunately, obviously, when they're 18, they can hurt you. And uh, they can push grandma downstairs and stuff like that. It can be anything from constipation, that's the most common cause of of irregular meltdowns, to a brain malformation. So I don't know, like, for example, if he's had an MRI, but there's something called Arnold Chiari malformation that can cause extreme, extreme behaviors. Seizures can cause behaviors like that, too, where um, they have these um, these epileptic seizures, not like a fish out of water that, you know, again, my wife could diagnose, so look at that child, they're having a seizure. But these are more, they're more subtle, and, and, um, but they can cause rage, all right? Um, inflammation can cause rages. I'd like to know, and I, and I have this right on my phone right now, um, I, I just got the text right now, uh, I put the child on 800 milligrams of ibuprofen for a couple of days, to see if inflammation was playing a role, and, um, and now the child's sleeping, and actually she wrote just this morning, he is taking books off the shelf and looking at pictures. He's not done this for a year. Huge accomplishment. Thank you. So, again, it could be inflammation that's causing the problem. I don't know if you've gone um, dairy-free or gluten-free, but, but those foods, dairy and gluten, can make them very, very warlike at this age. And, of course, male hormones can be a problem. What if he's making too much of the male hormones like testosterone and he's raging right. because of that? He also could have problems with his adrenal gland. He's not making enough cortisol to help balance the rage. So you have a very, very good question, but the causes are so varied that we'd have to figure that out. Right. All right. Good luck, Carmen. Our next question comes from Nangi. And her daughter has done hyperbaric oxygen therapy, supplementation with probiotics and digestive enzymes, and been gluten and casein-free for seven years now, but they've seen little results. She still speaks very little and only when prompted, and she can't write her name and stems constantly. She wants to know if you have any advice for her. Well, what we've kind of learned so far is what doesn't work. And, And I know it's very frustrating, and I don't take it lightly in my clinic, But, you know, when Thomas Edison was trying to figure out what he should use in a light bulb, um, a thousand different filaments he came up with and a thousand different 
ways of, of it not working. And they said, well, how did it feel to fail a thousand times? And he says, well, I didn't fail a thousand times. He said, I just found a thousand different ways not to make a light bulb. Eventually, he figured it out. Well, that's what we do here, um, is we work on trying to figure out what doesn't, what isn't helping, and then not repeating that, obviously, and looking for things that we haven't tried yet. So just as we've been talking about with all these other um, cases, if you will, today, uh, whatever you've been doing hasn't worked, so we don't keep doing. And whatever you are doing, kind of whether it be probiotics or enzymes, whatever you are doing, we keep doing. So we've done the gluten-free, dairy-free diet. Excellent. And there's two ways we can go from here. We ask the question, what role do foods play in your child's behavior? There are some kids in my clinic that, well, God's blessed them, and foods are not their problem. They can eat gluten and dairy, taking it away, going paleo, going specific carbohydrate diet, going GAPS diet. Nothing change. It just does not contribute anything to their behaviors. So food is not their issue, so we don't play there anymore. With your particular child, I don't know if you've done GAPS diet or specific carbohydrate diet, but I think we have to answer the question, do foods once and for all play a role in her recovery? If not, let her eat and let's move on. When I say let her eat, obviously I'm not meaning McDonald's and having sugar and and, uh, dyes, but I mean, we don't have to be so persnickety about what she eats. Uh, Then we have to look at what's going on in her bowels. I mean, I would want to look at the stool and the urine and say, is there a bowel issue that's contributing to her in not not being able to improve. What's going on there? Does she have inflammation in the bowels, like inflammatory bowel disease? Does she have critters growing in the bowels, like bacteria and yeast or parasites that need to be addressed? Is it a bowel issue or not? Not knowing anything about her history about recurrent ear infections and antibiotics, um, not knowing what her vaccine history of when she when she was noted not to be doing well, in other words, were the first six months of life totally awesome and then she regressed, or the first year and a half were going well and then she regressed. So there's a lot there I don't know, but I would say to you is that if what you're doing isn't working, don't keep doing it and let's look for different ways and diff- to, to find out what might be holding her back or from progressing. All right, sounds good. And now we're going to move into the older kids. So this question comes from Katie, and Katie wants to know, does Biomed help with adults with autism, and is it ever too late to start treatment? I don't think it's ever too late. You know, um, that that's a great question, Katie. I don't look at adults or children as autistics. They may have autism, but everybody, whether they have autism or not, or whether they have um, compromised mental functioning or not, or if they're blind or not, deserve good medical care. If they have constipation, if they have problems with sleep, if they have recurrent infections, we fix that. That, that, that needs to get improved. I mean, every child, every, every adult deserves, for example, I'll just pick something out of the air, deserves not to be constipated. Now, in the process of relieving a, a young man or a young woman's constipation, they're now able to sleep better, and now that they're sleeping better, they're able to perform better at their school or their activities. Did I fix their autism? No, but I just made their life so much better, and everybody's noting that they're doing better. Look, if you were a teacher of one of these kids um, or young adults, would you want one that's been up all night in pain, or would you want to work with one that slept all night and is waking up and feeling pretty groovy? I'll take the groovy guy or gal. So they're, they're more reachable, yeah. they're more teachable. So no, I don't ever write them off. All right. There you go, Katie. Don't give up hope just yet. 
All right, Dr. Jerry, our community wants to know, what advice do you have for parents with children entering puberty? Well, it depends on what's going on in puberty, doesn't it? Meaning that some kids go through puberty, especially if they've been uh, on the early end of treatment with gluten-free, dairy-free diets, and they've gotten their vitamins, their minerals, their oils, and all that kind of stuff. They kind of cruise through puberty pretty well. In fact, that would be like my son. Um, and, and puberty actually opened up his language gates, and he started speaking a lot more and asking more questions. It was kind of neat to watch. You know, even even a typical child yourself, um, when you're 11 and when you're 14, there's a world of difference how you process the world and how you think about things. And, of course, when you're 18, compare that to when you were 14. I mean, if you're 18 years old, you think, 14-year-old, man, I was really young back then. I really didn't process stuff well. I thought I knew what love was, but now I really know. And that's just right. at 18. Wait till you're 24. So puberty can be a very good thing. Can it be difficult on boys and girls? Absolutely. If the hormones are raging and girls start menstruating, um, if boys start masturbating, um, if boys start getting violent, if girls start getting violent, there's a lot of things we can do to help all of those behaviors. It just depends on when you say, well, they're through puberty, they're going through puberty, is there anything we can do? And I'm going to say, well, yeah, but can you kind of help me figure out, focus on what you want me to work with? Is the, is the young lady PMSing? Um, I have some girls who, for example, the week before they have their, their, their menstrual cycle, their menstrual flow, um, they start having more seizures. Well, that's a progesterone issue. Or they're getting migraines. Well, again, that could be a progesterone issue. So I can give them a little bit of extra progesterone to help them through that period. So as you can see, that's a loaded question with lots of things. I'd like to know, well, what particular problem did you have in mind? All right, sounds like a question to address in an upcoming Q&A. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely, please do. <laughs> okay, we will keep you in mind. All right, next question, um, which is a little on topic for the holiday coming up. And our community wants to know, do you have any tips on how to address the holidays like Valentine's Day with teens on the autism spectrum? It's very, very difficult, whether it be Valentine's Day or Halloween or Easter, it seems like nowadays there's always a celebration going on, especially in school. It usually involves candies and cupcakes and all kinds of stuff. Look, um, my son also has the, um, the benefit of being a diabetic, okay? He's an insulin-dependent diabetic. There can't be a holiday celebration for him. He can't do that stuff. It's just not possible, okay? Because I, there's, I can't give him that much insulin in his tush to manage all of the sweets that are out there that are available to these kids. So if we know that particular items are, are hard on our children, causes behaviors, whether it be, um, in, in fact, the, the phone call right before this one, uh, mom was telling me about the uh, red dye number three velvet cake that the kid got into that grandma gave the child, you know, at a wedding celebration. The kid went berserk and raged and all that. I don't have an answer for that except don't do it. Again, if it hurts when you do it, don't do it. No exceptions. We are, I am, fighting for these kids' lives. And I am just not, with my son, going to let anybody poison my kid. If your child was allergic to peanuts and it was National Peanut Butter Day, you wouldn't say, well, let's just give him a little bit of peanut butter. You say, no, we just don't right. do that. We can't do that. Right. So I love be careful on the days. There's no, there's no question yeah. for that one. Except, no. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our next question. Our next question comes from Marina, and Marina says, Hi, I'm a mom of four and five. 
of my, I'm a mother of five, and my and four of them have autism. She wants to know if you have any idea why so many of her children have autism, and worries that if they go on to have children of their own, will they have autism too? Um. Well, I mean, there's no way I could possibly know. Um, I don't think the science is advanced to the point where we can pinpoint a gene problem with that. Uh, but it sounds like there is a genetic susceptibility. And um, well, let me kind of explain that. For example, you can be born with a genetic susceptibility to have a anaphylactic reaction to a shot of penicillin. It means if you get a shot of penicillin, you're going to try and die. Your airways will close off. You'll start wheezing. Your tongue will thicken and all that. But you don't know it until you get a shot of penicillin. But genetically, it's still there. So my wife is one of those people. So she's just fine, totally awesome, if you don't give her a shot of penicillin. So everything in medicine has a potential risk. So if you line up 100 people against the wall and give them all a, a shot of penicillin, you'll find real quickly which ones shouldn't have got it. If that's that genetic predisposition. But it's not a defined genetic syndrome like, say, Down syndrome, for example, trisomy 21, three of the 21 chromosomes. That is a true, well-recognized genetic thing. Up to date, they have not found an autism gene. So can't really help you with, with that, but there is some susceptibility that makes, um, makes your children more sensitive to something in our environment that made them autistic. There you have it, Marina. Our next, well, actually, this, this next one isn't a question, um, but it's from a former patient, Dr. Jerry. Her name is Debbie, and she said, Dr. Jerry, I just wanted to let you know Erica Horn is in college and taking college-level classes. James Horn is doing well as well. He has a job sorting recycling at school. He does his own laundry at home, and he's going to be 19 this month. He is still living at home, but thank you for giving me courage. That's amazing. Very good. Thank you so very much. Um, again, it's all about getting the most out of what our kids can be instead of just writing them off and um, help, helping them to be satisfied and healthy. If we can recover them totally, that's amazing. If we can get them 90% of the way there, that's fine. But to leave them in the, the quagmire that I so find often where they're just not happy, they're not sleeping, they're cranky, they're self-injurious, they're, they're vicious to their brothers and sisters. You can't take them to the movie. You can't take them out for a restaurant. There's no reason to leave them like that. That's so sad. So I'm very, very pleased that uh, she benefited from um, the, the input of just so many doctors um, to help her out. And, and by that, I mean that, you know, I stand on the shoulders of giants like Dr. Bernie Rimlin and all. So I, I can't take the credit. Um, these doctors have mentored me and taught me a lot of things. So that's very good to hear. Awesome. Well, congrats, Debbie, and we wish you nothing but the best. All right, Dr. Jerry, this next one comes from Mary in Fairbank, Alaska, and she said, I read your book, Healing and Preventing Autism, and I was wondering if your new book will contain any updates. P.S., looking forward to your new book. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We're going to look now, as, as my practice group gets older, we're going to look at more of the strategies that are involved in helping our young ladies and our young men uh, make it through puberty and uh, the effects of puberty on them and what we can do biomedically to help them. So that's one thing we're going to be doing. Obviously, we're going to be 
talking about the uh, additional diets that have been proven to be helpful, like the GAPS diet, and then maybe some different strategies looking at parasites. Uh, obviously, state-of-the-art um, of what we're doing with vitamin D and vitamin D supplementation. So it's kind of falling into all these questions that, that you've asked. So we'll be doing um, new things as opposed to, you know, the gluten-free, dairy-free diet that everybody hears about. And I'm kind of used to talking about, but when I get these new kid moms coming in with the two- and three-year-olds, like it's brand new for them. It's like, really? We can do that? That's really exciting. So unfortunately, um, we're still making lots and lots of babies with with special needs on the autism spectrum. And uh, so it's going to be good for everybody. That's great. All right. Well, when can our community expect to see the new book? Um, we're working on that right now. Actually, this weekend is going to be a big push for that. I'd like to get that out by June. Okay. All right. Do we have a title yet? Yes, but it's it's a secret. <laughs> All right. Well, we will be sure. And we'll let Generation Rescue we'll let we'll let Generation Rescue have that title as soon as we make it available, so they can break it out to the world. All right, there you guys heard it. We will be announcing Dr. Jerry's book soon and look forward to it coming out hopefully later this year. All right, Dr. Jerry, I think we'll take one more question and then we will let you get back to work, okay, because we know you have a lot of patients to tend to. Excellent. All right, our last question comes from Amy, and she wants to know how long a course does it usually take to get rid of yeast in a child's body? Well, that's a great question, Amy, and it's not that we're getting rid of yeast. Who has to get rid of the yeast? The child does. The child's immune system has to realize that yeast is a pathogen, something that shouldn't be in the body, and it has to get rid of it. See, yeast is part of all of us. We all have yeast. It's under our armpits. It's in our, in our groin area. It's on our feet. It's in our mouth. It's in our nostrils, but our immune system keeps it in check. So you can't sterilize the body from yeast. It's just not possible. But we can bring down those yeast colonies by not feeding them like with excessive sugars and carbohydrates and processed food. Uh, we can certainly bring them down with, with pharmaceuticals like nystatin or fluconazole. Okay? We can certainly keep them at bay, hopefully, with, with probiotics and prebiotics. And there may be some natural um, agents we can use uh, like cilantro and garlic to help make it a more hostile environment for yeast to grow. But ultimately, the child is going to have to figure it out. The immune system in that child is going to have to figure it out and keep it at bay. And until then, it's like playing whack-a-mole. You just hit, you hit it now and it comes back, and you hit it now and it comes back. Um, I had one little girl, when she kept getting yeast, it, she would want to it'd make her want to jump off things that are very high. She wouldn't think twice if she could to jump off the back of, say, some bleachers at school. She'd just go up the stop, and then she would jump off. Um, and thank God she never did. But, but she would want to jump, so my kids who are climbing and jumping from my desk and landing on their knees on the floor, that's yeast, and you're absolutely right. Um, so some kids actually have to live on these antifungal things for quite a while until the immune system figures it out. So it can be quite a while. Well, good luck, Amy, and thank you, everybody else who sent in a question. Thank you, Dr. Jerry, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come and chat with our community. I know we got a lot of good questions answered, and we look forward to chatting with you again soon. Anytime, Zach. Just, just call, and I'll be there. Of course. 
And Dr. Jerry has an amazing line of vitamins and supplements called Cartsnell Health. Cartsnell Health offers you the highest quality products for all your health needs with great prices and exceptional service. You're sure to be pleased with the products that you receive from them. So be sure to check them out. You can learn more at CartsnellHealth.com. That's K-A-R-T-Z-I-N-E-L Health.com. So be sure to check out CartsnellHealth.com and MendingAutism.com. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Dr. Jerry. Bye-bye now. Bye.